my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of HR Sound Off. If you are looking at the video version of this podcast, you will recognize my guest. For those of you who are listening to this podcast 100%, today with me in the studio, we are going to break it down. How do you go from the block to the boardroom in HR? How do you get this done? And then what does that mean? What does it look like? How do you continue to drive and aspire to be the great person that you are as you elevate yourself? What are the things you shouldn't forget as you go along the way? And my guest today is here to talk, break it down and tell us all of that and share her story. So I want to welcome Kalila Olukanola. Thank you so so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, So excited to be joining you today. It's an honor. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I have admired you from afar for so long. Um, Your story is just truly inspirational. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this right now because I've never told you this before. I wanted to interview you very early when I first started my podcast. But in hearing you speak and listening to your experiences, I wasn't ready for you. I wasn't ready for you. Even now, I'm wondering if I'm ready for you. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. We are going to have a great conversation. I know it. So as we just, let's kick it off. Tell the people, who is Kalila? Who are you? How did you get into HR? let's, Let's start with this story. Yeah, let, let's go ahead. So um, Kalila Aloka Canola, I kind of became KO a couple years ago. Um, and I grew up in the streets of Brooklyn, New York, right? Um, standard home. Mom worked for one of the big four banks. Uh, dad was um, Wall Street. He worked for Merrill Lynch. If him and his team showed up, uh, you knew that an audit was happening. They were a firefighting squad and life was good, Julie. Mm-hmm. Like it was great. You know, then alcoholism, you know, hit our house and things begin to change. You know, situations can cause a ripple effect in your life and you don't realize uh, things that are happening until they actually happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at a young age, you know, I was being put outside on the streets because I would argue with my dad about some of his issues. I felt like, cause I'm the oldest, I have to stand up for everyone. And we didn't have, we don't have brother so it was on me and um and so from the age of 13 I would ride the trains all night because there was nobody's house that I could sleep in unless I gave something to them and I didn't have anything to give give away I was I'm a child right and you know I um I lived that life for years, you know, and uh, the relationship I had with my parents, which was really good at one time, was really tarnished. Um, my, my dad was mad at me. Uh, they took out multiple insurance policies on my head because once they put me out for 
some time when they when they started to look for me, they couldn't find me because I was beginning to uh, understand street life and culture. I was mm-hmm. positioning myself in places around people who taught me about the block. Mm-hmm. And I found myself going upstate New York to Troy, New York, where I had family, cousins. And I went, went up there, not because I was looking to do something wrong, but I wanted a bed. And, you know, for some people that may not sound like something, but you know, when you are 13, 14, 15 years old and you don't have any place to sleep or you're mm-hmm. riding the trains or you're outside in your call, a bed, a safe space is powerful, you know? Yeah. And so I went upstate because I was looking for a bed. I realized that I could have one up there mm-hmm. and everybody that was upstate, Julia was involved in some kind of drug trade or trafficking one way or another. And again, my intention wasn't to go go up there and jump in. But right. when I got up there, I remember I had all these needs and I had um, my cousin's boyfriend was like, hey, why don't you hold this for me? Take this down the block. And I was doing small things. And after a couple of weeks, I realized that I was good at doing small things and it was easy. And mm-hmm. so then I started doing bigger things and I found myself positioned on the block as a woman, as a young girl. Um, and I hustled. I hustled. I made money uh, to feed myself. I made money to pay my bills and I was able to get my own bed. And it was a lot of challenging times out there. You know, I was surrounded by men. So I mm-hmm. shaved my hair off and wore a back brace um, so that they didn't know that I was a girl if you were new and was coming upstate New York. Wow. Um, because I, you know, I was, somebody tried to rob me a couple times when I was up there because I was a girl. So I shaved my hair down, and, uh, put on the back brace, wore really baggy clothes, you know, and mm-hmm. The block became my lifestyle and I hustled with people that were from different affiliations, um, Bloods, Crips and GDs. I'm only mentioning that because of where the story will lead right, right. later. And um, and I did did that for five, six years. I was really good, good at it. And one day my mom called me and she said, hey, your aunt said that your face is swollen. You look like you got beat up. Please come home. And I had just gotten into a fight. Um, a guy thought I was a guy and he hit me and wow. my face was fully swollen. Mm-hmm. Um And my mom was calling, crying for me to come home. Uh, Dad wasn't the one calling me, mom was. And, you know, but I had begun to go through this awakening in my life where I had been upstate for so long, I was tired, you Mm -hmm. know? The lifestyle wasn't how I was raised. You know, my mom had me, I didn't go to Girl Scouts, I was a missionette, I learned scriptures for badges. And so Mm -hmm. this lifestyle I was living was completely opposite to how I was initially raised and so alcoholism hit our house. And I got tired, I got tired of seeing people addicted to drugs. I got tired of being around, you know, that, that lifestyle that people, um, people love, they glamorized it, but it wasn't glamorous. It came with heartache and with pain. It came with suffering. It was lonely, you know, and it was always compromised. You always had to put yourself into a situation that you didn't want to put yourself in. Mm -hmm. And remember I started there because I felt like I needed to come upstate to find a bed. My mom asked me to come home and I told her I would remember I had that dream. I'm going through this awakening where I want to stop what I'm doing. And we go to New York, you know, to pick up our package, what we did come back upstate New York, um, where we hustled and we got pulled over on 787 South exit 23. Mm-hmm. And before we got there, my heart was racing and I was shaking because I had just had a dream about it the night before. Wow. And the blue lights pulled up behind us. And I thought to myself, it's over. I tried to run. It did not work. Um, I had a uh, my co-defendant was inside the car and he had a girl that was in the car that he decided to bring with us, which mm-hmm. I was completely against. We never did that. It was a rule. Right. But he broke it this time. 
And when the officer pulled me over and was patting me down and realized I was a girl, he had to call a one woman to the scene. And um, they arrested us. They found a couple of kilos of cocaine inside the car. They went to our house and found assault rifles and body armor front and back. And we found out that the young lady inside the car in the front seat was a confidential informant. Mm. Arrested, taken to the prison. And the, the lady, the police officer, the female officer was crying because she said, we see women every day come through here and they're going to jail because they're mules. Mm. They're being used by some big time drug dealers. They're just mules. You can't let yourself be a mule. And, you know, I don't say this proudly, but I wasn't a mule. I was management at the time. Yeah. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was in control of the block. It, it was mine. You know, mm. I was out there. I completely did it. I was fully engaged. I was aware of right. all the things that I was doing that was wrong. And it's important that you know when you when you change your life that you are aware of what you've done you know um because mm -hmm. it's going to help you become who you are supposed to be mm -hmm. and i was i i went to I went, I went to jail. I, mm -hmm. I went to court. And, you know, I was always the child, though, that wanted to go to school. I wanted to learn. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, I was I was winning, winning awards for uh, rap songs about being against drugs. They had this thing called D.A.R.E. And mm -hmm. I had won a little medal. You know, I was always involved in something there. Mm -hmm. I stayed in school. When I was arrested, I had been in college. You know, I went to school to originally study law and I decided after taking an elective FOS 108 which was forensics 108 that I wanted to be a forensic scientist I wanted to do autopsies on bodies and sweep crime scenes wow. when I was when I got to the courtroom the judge looked back at my record and told me that I knew the system I had been educated in the system and I was taking advantage of the system and so he was not going to give me three to life which if he did I would have qualified to come home in 90 days he gave me almost five to life instead because he believed I took advantage of the system. So I was sentenced and I served almost five years in state prison. I was in Albion, Taconic, Bedford Hills, um, uh, Beacon Work Camp. And it was there that I had an opportunity to rediscover Kalila, who is who she is, you know, what she wanted to do in her life. And I, I went through all those emotional moments of shame, of guilt, of the things that I've done, of the moms that I may have sold something to that had children. Like I remembered all those times where in the moment, you don't think about those things, but after you come out of situations, you realize when you get back your sanity and something starts shifting on the inside of you mm -hmm. that you should have stopped a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But it was in prison that I learned uh, that I wanted to make impact. That wasn't about... Uh, I wanted, I wanted the American dream. It wasn't a house. It wasn't a car. It, it wasn't a tall, dark, and fine man, even though, hello, I'll take yeah. it, right? It was making impact. <laughs> it was making impact in the yeah. lives of others who may have gone through situations like me that were in difficult situations and had to make difficult decisions at a young age, not fully developed or aware. And they went through something and they wanted to find their way out because nobody creates a path or a chart for a child who goes upstate, hustles, goes to prison, and then wants to come home and start their life back from that age that they first went to prison. Mm -hmm. I wanted to begin again from the time I decided to go upstate and get a bed, but it was no, it was no, nobody was there to tell me how. And so I had to lean and depend on experience and that the desire, that thing that was on the inside of me that told me that there was more to me than a den number. My number was 99G0789. I lost my name to it. But when I came home, I I realized that I was given an opportunity to get my name back. 
And mm. I started working jobs. I worked a, 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 a sales job. You know, I, I got I ran into a young, young lady. And this story I always love to share when I share my, my story. I um I uh, ran into a young lady whose name um, was Ebony and uh, she was in prison with me. And I, I said, hey, I'm looking for a job. They told me if I find a job, they'll let me come home early. I was in like this work. It was like for work release. They'll let you go out to look for a job and come back into the facility in New York City. And she said, my job is hiring. Sprint is hiring for sales reps on the phone. I didn't really want to speak to anybody on the phone, but I knew that if I could sell, on the block that I potentially could sell on the phone. And I went to uh, this company and got stuck in the elevator with this crazy redhead lady who just so happened to be the big boss. Mm -hmm. And even though hiring was over because of the conversation I had with her, she hired me. And she said, I'm going to put you on the landline account and I'm going to take you to introduce you to your supervisor. She walked me down the stairs and introduced me to this tall, dark and all right looking black man named Alephis Olokanola. It's important y'all know that because he's my husband today. Right. Right. And so, yeah, and I wasn't interested in him. It was me going for a job. I had to share my story early on with him and tell him, hey, parole is coming to look for me here. And he looked at me like I was crazy because he was really in conservative, button-down shirt, pinstripe pants, and wow. all the women obviously liked him and me. I was, I had on khakis, a knitted sweater, and some braids in my hand, Timberland boots, and I was just like, why? You know? And, mm-hmm. and but he taught me how to use what I already had in the job that I was in. And that was the first time I realized that street skills can translate into corporate America. You can use block skills inside the boardroom. I began to apply what I used on the block, what I knew about demographics, about target, about marketing, uh, to apply it in the role that, that I was in. And I worked that job for a little while. I transitioned to the Bari Mission Transitional Center where I ran the career center for 125 men, reintegrating back into the community from homelessness, drug addiction, and prison. I was hired by one of the ladies who would come into prison and speak to the women that was there. She said that something was on her heart to give me an opportunity, and she gave it to me. Mm-hmm. 60 days after I started, she went out because her husband got uh, sick. He got hurt on the job, and I had to run the career center for the next two years. And it was there that I began to build my first program, Your Employment Success, right? Mm -hmm. It was there that I realized that I had this this passion in me to teach people. I didn't realize at the time that I was being positioned to impact people like me, right? Right. Because, yeah, I I didn't have a point of reference, except Mm -hmm. I'm looking at this young man, he's in a tough situation, or this older man, because it wasn't an age cap on the men that was in this program. And these were men that the former chef from Tavern on the Green, he ran into alcoholism and he was in this place. There were young men from all walks of life that had just came on hard times and ended up in difficult situations that wanted to start their life over again. And, you know, I did this for, in New York City for, man, uh, six, seven, eight years. And mm-hmm. I was dating Al, you know, I left DF, I left Sprint and was dating Al and uh, he was working at Verizon Wireless and Verizon decided to relocate him to a small town called Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh-huh. And in Wilmington, I thought to myself, he has to be going to Delaware, not North Carolina, right? Who knows about a Wilmington, North Carolina? And he came here, um, he visited, 
he had to relocate. But at that time in my life, um, I wasn't just at a great job at a, a, a company that was an executive search firm in reverse. Everybody we worked with was a senior level executive. Mm-hmm. I was hoping to make career transitions, right. you know, from one place to another. Mm-hmm. But I was also involved in um, the community and in my local church. And at that moment, I really didn't feel led to move down to Wilmington, North Carolina, but to stay put positioned because mm-hmm. there was a lot more work that I had to do. So he came to Wilmington, North Carolina, and he was here for two years on his own before I I relocated. Wow. And, you know, I, I, when I finally came here, it was because he asked me to marry him. And I realized then, Hey, I gotta, I gotta move now. Yeah. But, you know, when we look back, you know, um, I, I, I took those street skills to apply to that initial job. I ended up transitioning into a place where I was responsible for building programs for people who had been through situations similar to mine, you know, and then I ended up in an executive search firm where I was helping senior level executives transition. And so I had done some HR work, right? Not defined as HR yes. work. But you were doing it. You were doing when it. I you were doing yeah. talent acquisition. Well, you don't realize it. You, you know were doing talent acquisition from the block. From the, always and you know and that's something I wish that I should have I should have stayed there because everybody had a special skill set and a responsibility you know there was some people that was responsible on where we would go and where we would set that up somebody else responsible for traveling I mean we ran this thing like a company I might be saying too much well I already served time right <laughs> sorry right and, and so we look at that it, it, it is and so when I made this transition to Wilmington North Carolina um, I didn't just jump into HR right there, Julie. Right. I, I mean, I built a business, you know. Well, I, I want to say this at first all that time that you were building that experience, you had no degree, no certification in HR. No, no, I just want to make that abundantly clear to the audience at this time. Yeah, you nothing. have no degree, no certification, nothing in HR. So you're working in talent acquisition. Talent okay. acquisition, you recruitment. Will, recruit, yeah, you work, you move to Wilmington, and now you start your own business. You become an entrepreneur. I become an entrepreneur because I realized that I can't find a job that's going to pay me what I was paid in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know what? I got to hit the block again. I'm using those skills that translate. So I built a company. I built a co- couple companies. The one I highlight is um, ABE. We did event and set design for film and TV rap parties. So I've done rap parties for Will Ferrell, HBO's East Down and Down. You know, I've worked Revolution and Under the Dome. I did a small party here for Billy Burke, who played Bella's dad in Twilight. You know, Iron Man 3 was filmed here. I was on set for, for that also. And so I've had a ton of experience doing that, but I built the business. I was able to scale the business in different parts where we had um, equipment like lounge furniture that we would rent out. Right. We had booked contracts with philanthropic organizations. And then one day something happened. I remember that day before I was arrested where I said I wanted to make impact in the lives of others. And even though I had built this business, you know, I was able to hire the the right people. You know, I was able to... um, to have events that I thought were impactful, you know, in the lives of people, because we, we, we were focused on the kind of events that we did. I was brought back to that place where I remember the promise I made to myself was to impact the lives of other people who may have gone through something like me or people that were in a tough time and didn't have a course already charted for them. So I did something that most people may think is crazy. I closed the business. 
I, I closed it and then I looked for ways to exit out to sell it. So I was able to sell my contracts. I was able to sell my equipment to two different companies. And so I exited out, I exited out the business with a profit, you know, right. and that, that wasn't the first business I built that I was able to sell for a profit and put a little bit of cash in my back pocket. Now, right. look, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was a little bit of, it was yeah. some money. Right. And it was, and I was proud because I had utilized all these skills that I learned on the block on my own, right, to apply pressure. And I started empowering women and based on Dr. Seuss books. Dr. Seuss is a hot topic right now. Oh, right. Fast, huh? Yeah. And so, yeah, I started building, um, do, doing small events for them. I mean, we started at five people and then it went to 10 and then 20 then 75 was the last number. And people were inviting me to speak. What I learned is that I had a voice, right? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know I had a voice. I, I learned that people were interested in listening to mm -hmm. some of, of, of what I had to say. And I want you to remember this, everybody that's listening, is that at this time, this is decades later, after I had served this time, and I'm holding and harboring this deep, dark secret that I spent time in prison because by now... Khalil is a business owner. She's been, been been on TV and on film for some of the work that she's done. All my friends are behind the gate in the country club. Yeah. I can't possibly let them know that I've been to prison, that I had to go sell drugs because I didn't have a bed and my dad was putting me out. I can't let them know that right. I came from a troubled household, but something powerful happened in between having these conversations with people and traveling to speak. Mm -hmm. I was uh, asked to speak at the Women's Venture Fund in New York City, and there was a man there by the name of George Taylor, who was also speaking. And he told me this crazy story about starting a company that only hires active gang members. And it was at that moment, Julie, that I realized that my pride wasn't as important as my purpose. And Correct. so I took my pride away and I was like, hey, you know, I told him a story in third party about a young girl who grew up in Brooklyn that fell on hard times and ended up in the streets of upstate New York. She sold drugs um, with, with, with gang members up there. They were like a family unit because opportunity is the greatest equalizer. It didn't matter what the colors were because we had all grew up together in Brooklyn. These right. were people that I bought with me upstate from New New York. And uh, we hustled together and she got arrested, came home and this is what she's done since then. He was like, that's a powerful story. He yeah. was like, who's that girl? I was like, that's me. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and said, I can't see it. And so there was no evidence of what I had been through. Mm -hmm. There was no evidence of the circumstances and the shift that had happened in my life. But what I realized at that moment that your pain, your passion, man and your past are all connected to your purpose it oh, all yeah. aligns and oh, so yeah. um it it, it it all aligns and so i ended up um coming in to speak for one day to share my story to the guys and after speaking for one day he asked me to stay for one week and after one week he asked me to stay for 40 days and during that time i built small programs on life skills social skills business skills and i utilized what i knew from the block to apply pressure to show the guys how to operate their skill set in the boardroom and so what i realized is that i was doing learning and development i was teaching them how to develop personal and professional de yeah. development plans and i was intentional with the design because it was built for the population the people mm -hmm. that you were currently serving and that was one of my first lessons um, uh, in going into HR because right. HR hadn't chosen me yet. You know, it wasn't until two years down the line that George said, hey, we have this really important role in human resource that I want you to take on. I was like, I'm no HR person. They're, they're mean. 
They don't smile. I'm loud. You know, I like to have fun. I'm not all about policy. I'm dirty HR. That means I'll push it to the edge a little bit as long as we comply. And dirty is an acronym. It means like there's there's this film called um Diversion. And diversion yes, means that you don't fit in one faction. Yeah. So you know, HR shouldn't fit in one place. You mm -hmm. should be, that's the D. The I is intentional. Mm -hmm. The R is resilient. The mm -hmm. T is trustworthy. And the Y is, I say yogi, because we need to find balance sometimes. Yeah. And balance for us is a, a tip scale. Oh, and I assume this yes, role. Yes, yes, yes. You know what? I want you to say that again. Dirty is not a bad word. Dirty, no. dirty in this in this instance. Tell the people what it is again. Just tell them dirty, one so time. So the D is divergent. That means that HR shouldn't fit into one faction. We shouldn't just be one thing, right? We should be what we need to be at that moment. The mm -hmm. I is intentional, right? We should be purpose-driven when we're planning for the people that we're planning for. Mm -hmm. The R is resilient. Mm -hmm. HR has to have good bounce back, right? Oh, yeah. And the T is trustworthy. They should trust that you're going to make the right decisions and the fair decisions, right? Mm -hmm. It's not based on what you want for yourself personally, but it's based on the people and the processes that are in place. Yeah. And why is yogi like find that balance that mm -hmm. you need and balance can sometimes mean that you tip the scale and yeah. when you think about dirty think about when somebody goes and gets arrested like i did you go and you get booked you get your hands put on this ink pad mm -hmm. and then you put your fingerprints on a piece of paper as a human resource um executive consultant coordinator whatever role you play in your fingerprint should be on there there should be evidence that it was intentionally and purposefully designed mm -hmm. they have to look at it and say i can tell that a piece of julie is inside of this system yeah. because we know who she is we mm -hmm. know what it represents and mm -hmm. Oh and, yeah, in the words of Beyonce, I was here. Yes, I was you here. Live your life so that people know that you were here. You made your mark. You made your print. I got you. I got you. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's just like I would have never chosen HR. There's so much I've learned, but I've been able to apply what I've gone through, my experience, yeah. to become where I am today. And mm -hmm. so. When I design, it's intentional. Like yeah. I'm not going to design something for mm -hmm. a group of, of boy scouts or girl scouts right. that they can't relate with. You know, we have this process, this conversations, challenges, beliefs, mm -hmm. and, and beliefs the foundational for skills. Mm -hmm. Skills for us leads to opportunity and opportunity leads to growth, growth to prosperity. And for us, prosperity leads to peace. Yeah. But if you start with having a conversation with people, people uh once you know what they need you, you can design you know based on what you know Maybe and then it'll challenge mm -hmm. yeah and it'll it'll challenge what they believe about themselves because when people come to the workplace julie and they come and they get hired they're coming there for an opportunity and the opportunity is not just the nine to five the daily that you give them it's the whole ecosystem of human resource that you have to apply mm -hmm. pressure in for them to succeed it's not going to work if they're just coming and you don't have culture you know or yeah or there's no level of com com communication mm -hmm. some people will leave because their morals are challenged by situations and circumstances in the workplace and so when you design it's not just a policy it's not just a plan it's not just a cute coffee hour it's yeah. more to it than that yeah. you have to be intentionally driven for your people and i'm intentional because i've been on the inside before yeah. i came out mm -hmm. That I'm is so powerful. Yeah, and I've been I, on the inside. I, I see. There's a there's a reason why I knew previously I wasn't ready for you, but mm -hmm. but today I want to say thank you um, 
for all that you for all that you have experienced that has brought you here today because now you are living a, a purposeful life that is blessing others your story is such that it is transcending and causing movement and is going to give hope to a lot of people who are in a position right now that are saying, I can't do better. I don't know how to rise above this. I'd love to be in this kind of a career, but I just don't know how to get there. And your story, your experience just shows what can be done without the, the degree, the paper that we are so anxious to get. When I hear people talk about um, their focus of being a, a P, SPHR or you know, CIP or whatever. I mean, those things are nice to have, but what we're talking about here is the human experience. As HR professionals, we are responsible for creating great human experiences. We are responsible for keeping the humanity in the organization, remembering the people and where they come from. And Kalila, you are proof positive that we can that we can do it successfully yep. if we just focus on our intention and I love how you put this over today I really appreciate you sharing this experience in this particular moment and one last thing I want to say because I can I know you want to say something yeah (laughs) one last thing I want to say before we move on to the next question tell the people today who you are I want you to do like a book um like you know those political statements my name is Kalila, and I am the, who, what is your position today? Where do you work today? And who are you helping in your employee experience today? Yeah, so awesome. My name is Kalila Alokanola. I reside in Wilmington, North Carolina. Today, I'm chief people officer uh, for a for-profit company with a closely knit social mission to unite gang rivals and decrease violence in Wilmington and across the country. Um, I manage our entire people operations, which includes the learning and development, the performance, mental health coaches, all recruitment, policies and procedures, health and wellness, and culture. Um, I've gone back to school since because man likes us to have papers, and so I have mm-hmm. AS, BS, and MPA, but that's not what got me here, right? It came afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I have this amazing opportunity to speak globally across the United States. I've spoken um, for everywhere from sustainable brands to conscious companies um, and for Julia for her HR podcast. Yes, and um, I'm a two-time author. I have two workbooks, which are uh be brave and brave vision. These workbooks are not HR focused. It's important I share that. They are more for personal development and they have a spiritual component to them, but they'll work if you work it. Um, and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be featured in print um, on TV and have the systems that I intentionally designed used by companies across the country. Awesome. Boom. Like, there, there should be a boom. Like, right. <laughs> Right after that, so that people, I want you to know as you listen to this podcast today that anything is possible. I want you to know that if you've been struggling trying to figure out your career in HR and how you make it happen, that anything is possible. If Kalila has not expressed it any better, then you need to contact me and tell me that she didn't do the best job she could have possibly done today to tell you that because I'm she did. She did the thing. Yeah, yeah you know, I, 
Thank you. I always tell people that when you're looking to go into industry, especially HR, there's always a spark that ignites the idea of who you're going to be in HR. Something sparks it. There's always a shift that inflames the launch of that spark that happens inside of you. And then you begin to see these shared ideologies, that pain, that past, and that passion that all connect to purpose. You know, um, Julie, I know we didn't plan this, but I'd love to give you, I have uh, something called Purpose Plans. It's a little Mm -hmm. PDF. I'd love to give it to you. And if your readers are interested in it they can contact you to download it but they can look back at where they've been what they're passionate about and it'll help them define their purpose as it relates to going into hr oh thank you so much i am sure that the listeners will really appreciate that and i know that i do from the bottom of my heart now we spent a lot of time on your story because it's important we need people to know who you are Mm -hmm. but i want to ask you this um kaliba what are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you think are aspiring, are seasoned professionals listening to this show can benefit from today? So you said, what am I reading? Writing? Reading, watching, listening. Okay. Oh my goodness. You don't want to know what I'm watching, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Yes. So I'm reading, I'm reading Atomic Habits. It's by James Clear. Um, it's a, uh, I don't know if you heard about the book. It's, I read it a couple times. I read it, I read it before I read it again. That in 21 Laws of Irrefutable, Irrefutable Leadership. But Atomic Habits has a system called Q Craven Recognition and Reward. And so sometimes we try to break bad habits in teams that we forget to build something. And so Atomic Habits will help you come up with a system on how instead of trying to break things, just build it and they'll eventually adapt and pick up new habits. So that's what I'm reading. Love and 21 it. Laws of Irrefutable Leadership just reminds me that every management, every manager has a lid. There's a law of lid. Yeah. And so you have to know when to pull people in to help pull you up. And mm-hmm. so I'm conscious on where my lid is and what people I need to have around me um, so that I can be effective in my role. And listen, guys, I'm not watching anything that has to do with education. I'm right. a diehard Marvel fan. Woo. And so <laughs> I'm a diehard Marvel Look fan. That's another reason why we are such good friends. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a diehard Marvel fan. Yeah, and listen, I always find lessons in film. I, yeah. I I used to do this thing called Film Fridays. It's part of the curriculum that I built for In True, True Colors. And every week there's a lesson related to something that you watch. Mm-hmm. And it's so much dynamics involved in storytelling. And so oh I'm God. watching Marvel films with everything from Black Panther to Thor. Those are my favorites. That's mm-hmm. what I'm watching. And, you know, I'm not building vision boards anymore by themselves. I'm building something I call bankable blueprints. And what that means is the the vision board should be the last thing that you do. You Mm -hmm. should actually put together a system and a plan and the vision board should accompany it as a visual aid to encourage you to keep going based on the plan that you already wrote out for yourself. Mm. And it's something that you can bank on, something where there's some kind of value. And the value may not be tangible. It can be intangible. It can say, you know what? I need to learn better time management. That's on my bank bankable blueprint. I need to learn how to... Um, uh, recruit, create more recruiting pipelines. That's in my that's in my bankable blueprint. So what I do every year for myself in HR is instead of just going through a vision board, I create a blueprint outline of what I need to do, and I work from the bottom the outcome that I'm trying to, you know, get to and process all the way up to see where I need to start. And once I do that, I cascade those goals down to my team to make sure that we can be effective collectively. Wow! Thank you so much for sharing that. You just um, really appreciate the 
resources and the experience and also what you're learning from what you're sharing. So that because that's important. But I'm a I'm a huge Marvel fan. So I'm gonna test you right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge Marvel fan. Uh, okay. okay. So who's your favorite Marvel character? Well, so that's tough. I know. That that is tough. It is. Um, uh, it's because you know I, I mean because he's he's passed away I have to say Black Panther right mm-hmm. um uh I'm a fan of Chadwick Boseman I yeah. think that he was a real life hero in real mm. real life that he fought a fight um silently while yeah. he performed for us on screen yeah it's powerful um mm-hmm. I, yeah I'm also a Thor fan I'm not happy with how they let him out yeah I mean like with the stomach, stomach and I just come yeah, on now. yeah. I need him like part one with the yeah. hammer and the cut wits and <laughs> was in Guardians of the Galaxy when they found um when they found him after they destroyed um the, the floating Asgard. Asgard. And yeah. when the Guardians put him inside the ship and, and they go like he's like a god. He, how chiseled he was, you know? And then they destroyed him. Like destroy him, him. yeah no that's not the way that Thor, Thor was yeah. supposed to, to and I have to all. say and I like Iron Man because you know one of the things I love heroes that are regular people they don't have superpowers but they mm-hmm. create something yeah. to make them super that's mm-hmm. what HR does right yeah. we don't have superpowers but mm-hmm. what we create helps us define our superpowers so it's the same thing yeah yeah exciting you picked some great characters there Thank you. <laughs> I know, I know that's a hard question, but it's tough. you answered it very well. Thank so, you. Can you tell us what is the one biggest misconception about HR that really bothers you that people have and you want to set the record straight on today, right here, right now? That one thing that people say about HR that really bothers you because you know it's not true. Yeah, uh, that HR is about policy. And not about people. Mm. I think that that's one of the things that you know. Uh, you know, I've been at companies where they were so busy creating policies for the people that it was supposed to go for, but they never talked to the people it was supposed to be created for. Mm-hmm. And so, biggest misconception is that HR is more about policy than it is about people. Mm-hmm. Biggest misconception is that you have to get a SHRM certification or a, a PHR, PSHR certification to uh, find value in you in human resource. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you more than 30 days in, you qualify, right? And sometimes, sometimes your, your, your evidence is from your experience, yeah. not in the piece of paper that's paper attached that to your holding. name. Yeah, well, but we are hold that paper and have no experience, nothing, no, no empathy, nothing. no experience, no empathy, nothing. no. Uh, they're Humanity. not intentional in their plan. Nothing, and they do it because they want the letters, but they don't know how to lean in and lead. Mm-hmm. Don't understand the language of the the learn for the people that they're yes. serving for, and I see it all the time. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of mis- misconceptions in HR. I think that we have to be realistic, especially now. Um, 
I'm talking to a couple people in a couple weeks about what it takes to be a great place to work in 2021. And it's not like what it was last year or the year before last. We don't need uh, coffee hours and pizza parties. We need more empathy. Yeah. We need leadership to be held accountable yeah. for some of the things that they are doing and some of the things they don't do that they need to be. We need to hold the companies accountable who said that they were going to shape DEI initiatives that have gone silent now. Yeah. Right. And so there's so many things that mm -hmm. I think we can dig in right now and discuss and talk about the HR industry, but that one thing that it's about policy and not about yeah. people, that you need paper before you, you need to understand people to qualify you for the role. Absolutely. Hey, your experience is going to be what helps you execute, right? And it's going to help you expound on your career. The experience I'm gaining I'm working in this role uh, at True Colors as chief people officer. Remember, I started as a contractor doing learning and development. Yeah. I went to HR coordinator, HR director. You know, I went to VP, EVP. I, I didn't just get this title. I fought my way all the way up. I worked. I had yes. to um, I had to show results. And if you have a piece of paper, I congratulate you. But the evidence is in the results that you um, birthed and that you bring. Yes. The evidence is in a what's happening um not necessarily in your people but what's happening in you and through you as you lead this department on your mm -hmm. own and you know we, we said something i think you said something last time we spoke is that if you have a seat at the table it's hr and you don't use, use your voice you right. should probably get up from the table give it give it give it up give it up There's somebody no who's going to open up their mouth yeah give it to somebody who's going to open up their mouth to, mm -hmm. to, to push change yes. and to have those those brave conversations that we I are afraid that. to talk about. Mm -hmm. I do too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe that with all my heart. I do too. Oh, thank you so much. So I am it's such a good conversation. I almost don't want it to end, but tell us um like what's next for KO. Mm, that's great. Yeah. So um what's next for KO? So um Man, tons of opportunities to speak, um, speaking uh, lots of places, um, um, mostly in the HR industry, uh, for the HR industry, uh, talking about best places to work, talking about recruitment and pipelines, uh, training and learning and, de and development, um, handling crisis situations, you know, because, yeah. you know, one, one of our um, biggest uh, metrics that we track is shot spotter, which is weird, right? So we pay attention to how many bullets have been shot in our community, how many people have been injured or hurt, you know, and if there's shots being fired repeatedly in one area that's where i focus my recruitment at because i feel like there's a problem and what we've learned is that it's usually an economic issue and if we can provide economic opportunity you know you know we can bring them in and, and potentially make an impact and a difference you right. know and so uh, incredible awesome. yeah i mean incredible opportunity to speak um i'm designing um a couple new programs and systems. I just finished one called Brave Conversations. It's about unpacking racial justice and equity in business by first look, looking at the bags they've been packed in. And bags are our acronym for the behaviors, actions, the groups and gangs it affects, and the systems that need to be dismantled. And so I'm hoping that I can stir up a group of people to have a real DEI conversations about how we talk to each other. Um, yeah, and um, you know, I'm writing again. Um, I'm writing and this time I'm not writing on um, spirituality, but it's always there or on yeah. personal and professional de development. I'm writing on HR. I'm talking about um, 
the industry. I'm, and this book is for people who may not have experience in right. HR like me. You know, it's like your break open just in case and how you can use your skills that you learn to apply yeah. with where you are right now. And wow. so um, I'm, I'm looking that, forward to reading that. I'm yeah. looking forward to autographs coffee. Oh my goodness, you got it. You got it. You know, Julie, I want to say thank you. You know, like it's because of people like you that are advocates and leaders in the industry that uh, people uh, like me and other people that have been on your shows get an opportunity to share their voice, share their circumstance, past situations, and share how they shifted into their mm -hmm. role. And it's powerful, you know. Um, you're so consistent and you've done it with, I'm, I'm, I watch you. And when I watch you, I'm like, man, she's just going, she's sharing voices on platforms. She's sharing people. And that's what HR is. Each yeah. one teach one. Yeah. If we can connect and listen to what everybody's sharing, mm -hmm. we don't have to go to a training program. We can just listen to other HR folks who have experience they can help us apply pressure where we need, where That's we it. work. And so thank you for that. And thank you for this opportunity. You know, there was a time that I was, I used to be really, really ashamed to share my story and share some of, you know, where I came from. And, mm -hmm. you know, today, you know, I always say, they always ask me, what kind of HR person are you? I'm like, hey, I'm people focused, purpose driven and profit aligned. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. I'm an impact architect. I design yeah. with impact in mind. That's who I am. Mm -hmm. But I also look back and I remember the day I shared my story with George a couple years ago. And I said, what would have happened if I kept silent? Yeah. What would have happened if I didn't open up my mouth and share some of the struggles that I went through? Mm -hmm. I may not have had the opportunity to be where I am. And so I say that to say to those that are listening, people that are in HR, if it's by education, congratulations. If it's by experience, congratulations. If it's just because you landed there and you didn't go to school or you've been through something in your life, you can look back and realize that where you are in your position is connected to, to your past, to your passion, and potentially to some of your pain. Don't yes. be afraid to share your story somebody no. needs to hear it somebody's right. listening and their potential to lean in mm -hmm. and lead out is contingent on your voice so uh, don't be afraid to speak absolutely Kalila thank you so much for sharing you. your time your story your energy your efforts and I know that this is not going to be the last interaction that we will ever have I think like we are just Kalila and I are just getting started Y'all, we're gonna do we, some training and some systems. Some yes, we are. <laughs> we are just getting started. Like, it's you know, it's 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 funny. You are the girl from the block in in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm the girl from the block in Manchester, Mosside. Like, I am the latchkey kid from Mosside, Manchester. That's me. Love it. That's how I remember myself. Mosside is one of the and was always one of the most high crime areas between that and Hume. If you ever hear people talking about um, the UK and those high crime areas, wow. uh, Side, where I came from, was very high crime, still pretty much, still maybe not as bad as it was then, but it is. And I was a latchkey kid coming wow. home. I had the key around with some wool and that's how I came through the door while my mom was working three jobs to send me to school. And I remember that till the day I died. That's the woman who raised me, who, who made me who I am today. And so I never forget that. And I always want to share and help other people rise and grow and thrive. So whenever oh. I get the opportunity to do that, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to keep creating my own door so I can open doors for others. That's what I'm going to do.
And that's what you're doing, man. You're, you're doing it. Literally, you are doing it. You know, I remember last time I had a chance to um, be on one of one of your shows and I met Brian yeah. and Brian and I have spoken since then. Uh, he's actually making a connection and realized that I was connected to the person he wanted to make the connection with. Mm-hmm. So it all works out. Right. Oh, it yeah. all works out. For sure. Well, thank you, Kalila. And I look forward to um, having you on the show again. Yes. In the meantime, you take care of yourself and, and stay strong. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms. I am Julie Turney. That's I A M Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again in the next Sound Off.